Welcome to the HEAL podcast for all things related to Lyme disease and other chronic illnesses. I'm Mimi McLean, Mama 5, founder of Lyme 360 and a Lyme warrior. Tune in each week to hear from doctors, health practitioners, and experts to hear about their treatments, struggles, and triumphs to help you on your healing journey. I'm here to heal with you. Before we get started today, I wanted to talk to you about Dr. Bill Rawls. He has written one of my favorite Lyme books, Unlocking Lyme. He's an MD whose life was upended because of Lyme. From this experience, he had to change his practice and figured out how to heal himself. Dr. Rawls has created his own line of herbal supplements that support the immune system as a Lyme warrior. He offers a survey on his website to help determine which supplements you need. Go to Lyme360.com forward slash Dr. Rawls, which is D-R-R-A-W-L-S, to learn more about these amazing herbal protocols I've been using. Welcome back to the HEAL podcast. This is Mimi, and today we have Patricia Kusilich, and she is a social innovator, playwright, and Lyme warrior, and now activist whose passion project, The Great Intimidator, uses documentary theater to change the way we view healing and fundraising through storytelling. Her work aims to find ways to integrate Lyme patients into society and help others understand the silent battle the disease can be. To get my Detox for Lyme checklist, go to Lyme360.com forward slash Detox Checklist. Patricia, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm super excited to hear about your Lyme journey and also about what you're doing now to bring awareness for Lyme. So welcome and thank you for coming. I would love to start out with you just telling about your Lyme journey. Thank you so much for having me, Mimi. I love your podcast. It's so informational and you do a great job. So as far as my Lyme journey, we don't know for sure when I contracted tick-borne illness but I was experiencing severe symptoms by high school. So I think I probably had it by ninth grade when I started having a lot of intense knee issues and headaches and fatigue, but it seemed easy to write off as normal stress of high school and being involved in a lot of activities and classes. But by 11th grade, it was obvious that it was extremely not normal because I was struggling so much with fatigue, that sort of fatigue that you just feel like your legs are lead blocks and it's hard to walk. And I was extremely active. I danced, I went to the gym a lot. And for me, the biggest symptom was chronic daily headaches that ended up lasting 24 seven for mm. about eight years. So I had one headache that lasted about eight oh, years. No. And that was it, was, it was just a very weird sensation. And that and the fatigue were the biggest things. And so I actually ended up still not getting a diagnosis until college. Part of, and like so many people, we experience, oh, see a counselor. I thought it was unique to me because of my circumstances. Like, oh, well, you're just, and you're just too stressed about school because you're taking too many honors and AP classes and doing too many extracurriculars. And so I was like, no, I know it's not that. And then my father passed away around the same time. Oh, I'm sorry. And so it's okay. Thank you. And so that was another reason to write me off as Stress. something psycho. Goodness. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, no, I was getting lab tests the day I got the call. He died. So that means I had to have been feeling sick enough to warrant labs Yeah, to go that day. So I wasn't diagnosed until my, I want to say like my third year of college after a medical leave and the rest is history. That was 
a few years ago, I'm feeling so much closer (laughs) to recovered now, but. So what would you say is the pivotal thing that kind of got you on the track of feeling better? You know, because there's so many different ways that you can heal and there's no right answer. It's very individualized, right? So Mm -hmm. for you, what do you think was the attributing factor to making you start to feel better? There were so many things. There wasn't one magic bullet. Mm -hmm. So just starting to work with a Lyme literate doctor was the biggest step we did. And I usually am cautious about what I say about the treatments I did just because I'm not a health coach. I'm not a doctor. I don't have any of those credentials. So I just don't want to have anything ever taken out of context as medical advice. No, but it's what, uh, what you personally did. So yeah, because you went to a Lyme literate doctor, that that typically means they're a little bit more heavier on the antibiotics. I did do oral antibiotics and I actually responded very well. Some people don't, as you know very well, but we did each time I take antibiotics, I was usually taking different ones that would address different forms of Lyme simultaneously. And then we were rotating them, pulsing them and rotating so that I wouldn't is likely to become resistant to anything. And so that the Lyme couldn't mutate as much. I don't know. There was a whole theory to it. And I also was taking herbal antimicrobials additionally, and a lot of probiotics and binders, things for detox, a lot of things Mm -hmm. for immune support. So it wasn't just the antimicrobials. And do you, did you change your diet and do all that? Yes, Mm -hmm. I did. I did the hypoallergenic diet for a while, which was extremely strict for those who are familiar. Are you familiar with it? No, I just, I could only assume it's like an antihistamine or something to that effect where it's super, any kind of vegetable or anything that that kind of causes, I, I would assume, but. What you do with that one is there's this long list of all these things that you cut out and you do it for a certain amount of time. And then you control variables by slowly reintroducing one food at a time. So it's very scientific and very labor intensive. And I also had done lab tests and I had leaky gut. So I had a ton of food sensitivities to almost everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually that's like the linchpin. I think most people have that or they have other things going on if it's parasites or Mm -hmm. mold and whatnot. Okay. So you're feeling better. And I would love for you to just talk about what you've started, you know, in the theater realm of like your activism, like when did you decide to do that? And what was it? Thank you for asking. So it's been quite a journey (laughs) to do that. I grew up in musical theater. So people often ask why a play. I'm like, well, that's part of my life. That's why. (laughs) And I initially following the diagnosis was of course, so focused on surviving and getting through that. I didn't have a lot of energy to advocate. And about two years in, I started to feel a lot better. And when I started to feel a lot better, and started to realize how much more capacity I had. I was feeling like I had more and more of my personality back and energy and could do more. I started to feel really grateful and then started to look around and see, and I didn't know a lot of people with Lyme disease at the time. That was before I was introduced to the robust social media community. I was not a social media user. I had no idea (laughs) that there was this world of people and Still though, I had heard about others and started to see how many other patients with Lyme disease were not getting better and didn't have access to resources. And I started to feel really angry about how much privilege it took for me to get to where I was. 
and how many other people didn't have that. And so that's how I decided to start advocating. And it was definitely a shift to become so public about it because I previously was not someone who wouldn't tell anyone. Like I would tell my friends and my family and even professors and whatnot usually knew, but still to blast it on the internet, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. the hardest thing you've ever gone through is different. I don't know what, has that been weird for you being public? Well, it's so funny because like, I would say the first time I had my Lyme, once I kind of got better and I thought I was going to be better, I was like, I'm done. I don't ever want to mention the word Lyme again. I don't want to be identified as somebody who's a Lyme person. You know, I just, I want it over and not ever think back and look back. And then I relapsed. And so the second time I've relapsed, which has taken me a lot longer to get out of, is when I decided to like kind of start embracing it and like everything that I'm learning, it's like, it's a waste if it's just on me, you know what I mean? Because I love reading and learning and trying new things. I feel like I've tried everything. So I feel like like I should be sharing that, right? Like, why am I just researching all this stuff and not sharing it? So I did that. But, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because for like years, I was like, you know, I should make videos. And I still don't make as many videos as I should, like on stories, because I am not as super comfortable. I don't mind doing this, but for some reason, like live videos or whatever, it makes me a little bit more intimidated. But my point was, I knew that I wanted to do like a video about like me having Lyme. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And it took me until, was it last summer, the summer before when that woman wrote that New York Times article? Do you remember that article when she like said chronic Lyme doesn't exist and we were all making it up and everyone kind of went nuts and was like, everyone tell your story so this woman can like see that she's crazy. And that's when I did a video and I showed myself like walking and how I couldn't walk like in a straight line, you know, because I was neurologically impaired from my Lyme. And only up until that point did I have people reach out to me, close friends, being like, oh my God, I didn't realize, like, I'm so sorry I discounted what you were going through. I didn't realize what you were going through is that bad. Like, because they always used to make fun of me for like not drinking or leaving early or not going out or canceling, you know, like they would be like, oh, you're leaving again or whatever, you know? And and I think after that video is when they were like, oh my gosh, like I didn't, I, I think a lot of people don't know really what we're going through, right? right? You don't mm-hmm. know until you're going through it. So it took me to that New York Times article to actually start coming out and saying something and doing a video on my personal Instagram page. Wow. Yeah. And then, so where does your activism come in with with the play? Like, is that, is that like, how, how are you using the play as your tool? So- There's this field called applied theater that is the intersection of advocacy and theater. So actually, because of the symptoms I had, performing became difficult, which is how I became interested in playwriting. And I had always had an interest in different forms of advocacy prior to becoming a Lyme advocate. It was just that it was never about anything personal. (laughs) It was always an issue outside of myself. And so it actually was a huge step to even take up advocacy for something that was personal. And it was a natural fit with my background to blend advocacy and theater. Mm-hmm. So you wrote a play about Lyme, like the Lyme monologues is what it was originally called, right? Mm-hmm. It was called In the Lime Light Monologues originally. Once you've created these these plays or monologues, like where are they distributed? Like where can people see them? Mm, like who did okay. you show them to? And then also like, is it, are you raising funds? Like what are you doing 
with them. There will be an online Zoom reading this May 2021, May 6th. And I'm really excited about that. So people can watch it from anywhere in the world, which is going to be super fun because there have been readings in the past of working drafts of the script, but they were in person. So only a few people, and well, there was a set number of people who could come. So I'm excited to share it with people from around different places. And it's also a new draft that no one has seen publicly before. I added two new main characters. <laughs> so it's changed quite a bit. And the goal is to use it for a number of issues that impact the land community. So not only awareness and storytelling, but also building community, like the experience of going to see it together. Mm-hmm. And an unintended byproduct of this project, kind of like you and your video that you made, where your friends started saying, oh, I had no idea it was that bad. And I was going, oh my gosh, I've been telling people for years. But when they read the play, they got it, or at least got it in a way that they hadn't before. And I started receiving a lot more support, which wasn't even my intention. My intention was that it could do that for other people who weren't as far along in their healing and take some of that heavy lifting out of explaining. I don't know about you. I feel like explaining it is the most exhausting, draining thing in the entire world. And especially when you have brain fog, I feel like I can't explain it. Yeah. So I kind of have a quick summary. I tell people now, I'm like, it's like having arthritis on top of Alzheimer's, on top of the worst hangover you've ever felt with mono. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't laugh because that's terrible, but it's so true. true, Right. How are you going to get the name out? Like, how are people going to find out about it? I'm in the process of building a website. So hopefully by the time this is published, hopefully the website will be live. And I've been meeting the community on social media for a long time. And I don't know if that's how you're asking about distribution channels. But yeah, social media, the website. So... And when you say community, is it your own community or where are you kind of meeting these people, like hooking into what groups? Mm, I co-facilitate the San Diego Lyme Alliance Empowerment Circle. San Diego Lyme Alliance is an affiliate of Bay Area Lyme. Okay. So we have that community, but also I interviewed so many people. So I'm still in touch with a lot of the people that I interviewed and... I don't know if it quite counts as an established formal community. Yeah, it's like my own network that I've developed through this whole journey. I want to do more PR or things like that. And I have like a lot of groups I worked with, like the Croc School of Peace and Justice, where I did grad school and the Tory Project and some different competitions I was in. So there are different groups to reach out to that I've been affiliated with in the past. So once you do on May 6th, is that going to be your final presentation? Are you going to redo it again, like in person when COVID, or are you going to like, formally videotape it or make it into a movie? What, what's your long-term goal? So the long-term goal is really ambitious, but, and we are fundraising for Lyme nonprofits. I didn't squeeze that in before. So the goal is to help pay for treatment grants for people mm-hmm. and also like help inspire different advocacy moves. But because of how the social or physical distancing has impacted us. I thought it's actually a unique opportunity by doing an online reading for people who are homebound or bedbound to watch it in terms of accessibility. And it allows people from different parts of the country and even other countries to watch it, which I'm excited about because my dream or vision is that there would be performances around the world in the month of May in future years. And that that would be used as a community event and fundraiser because 
part of the play is even comedic. It's not parts of it are really heavy and serious. And then parts of it are fun, which I feel makes it easier to invite your friends and family. Well, I think even for me, it's like less triggering mm-hmm. that it's not all depressing. Yep. And you can invite the people that you love. And I just feel like my friends and family and people who care about me, it's a lot easier for them to come to a play with me than to come to say a microbiology lecture. Cause I've, I've right. been to a lot of those for Lyme and they're great, but they're not accessible you're not, if you're yeah. not a scientist and it's not always super tangible for the average layperson. Right. So it's like, we need both, you know? So this is like bringing entertainment and storytelling and community. And then you can walk away and have a conversation even about, Oh, is that what you experienced? And right. So I just like would love to see, it's actually inspired by the format of the vagina monologues, which I've learned Eve Ensler, the playwright did something really cool where, you know, taboo name. <laughs> and what they do though, is that every February they call it V day. And now at this point, it's this grassroots movement where around the world, there are people doing performances and they actually raise money for survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault which is really cool. And they've raised billions of dollars and I don't know if mine will take off quite the way that hers has, but it would be cool to have like performances in different countries. And it has the, the framework that someone could actually insert a monologue from a local advocate to like feature someone in their community. Oh, that's great. So are these all monologues or do you have other people playing? Like when you said you're going to read on on May 6th, is it you? And you said you had like two new leads. Like, so do you have two people doing it with you? Are you just reading like the different people's perspectives? That's a great question. So it's a blend of documentary theater and fiction. So there are some pretty experimental or almost avant-garde parts. Like there's a personified pathogen who is actually the villain slash comedic relief of the show. And as far as actors and the team, there will be a group of actors. I'm not in it. I was So you're not going to be reading it. So on May 6th, when we turn it on, it's not you reading it. It's people playing it out. Is it an actual play or is it just people with the microphone talking? It will be a reading um, just because we don't have the capacity to be in person, you know, with all of the, it would be very expensive to try to do the regulations for an in-person, all actors in the same room. So a lot of people in the theater world are doing these Zoom readings where all the actors have their own individual cameras. And part of the new play development process, it's very common to do a reading instead of a full stage performance with costumes and everything. It's part of that process. And I need to get better about communicating. That's what it's going to be. But I'm excited about the actors. We're currently recruiting a team with people who are comfortable disclosing invisible illness or chronic illness or disability status, just to have a team of people who really, really get it. I mean, a good actor can do it regardless of their personal background, but we just thought it would be cool to have that community component. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see other actors do it because I was in the previous readings, but I think it'll be better for me to watch and not be in it. And I'll be participating in a talk back. So people can come to a talk back with me and the director and some other folks afterwards and ask questions and discuss what they saw. Part of the vision is that people could do readings. Like they don't have to necessarily do a full staged performance. And I want it to be something that can live in reading format too, just because I'm picturing with how fatigued we can be. Like if someone wanted to host an event, putting on a full production may not be realistic. 
right? right? So readings might be the way that this play continues to live on the majority of the time, just because it's a lot more manageable. It takes less resources. It takes less resources and you can still have the experience. Right. Right. That's amazing. I'm so proud of you. And this has been great. I definitely will watch it on May 6th. I assume it'll be recorded so that if people can't watch it, they can watch it again. It will be recorded. We're figuring out logistics of making it available. I have some plans, but they're not ready to be announced yet. So yeah, stay yeah. tuned. Okay. So you're definitely share with me the link once you have that. So I can yes. post that with this so people can be able to follow you. But I mean, right now they can still follow you, um, you know, either your website, right? Or your Instagram handle. So you, I'm sure you'll be announcing it there. Yes. So people can connect with me on Instagram at patricia.kosalich or at Great Imitator Play, and then my website, which will be www.patriciacoselich.com. Should I Great. spell it? It's a hard name to spell. No, I have but... it. I'll have it on the link. So anybody's listening, it will be in the notes, the show notes. So it will be there. You can just click on it. But I'm excited because there's not, I mean, there's obviously been other Lyme movies like Under Our Skin and whatnot. So this is definitely great because there's no nothing else like it, right? You know, that's been out there. So I do think you're onto something and it's a, if you can create more of a community and have the opportunity for people to share their stories, you know, I can definitely see that happening more. One of my good friends, she keeps doing these shows and they're like stand up with a microphone. And it's like, they have seven minutes to tell a story and it's national now. And it's almost like I could see this kind of like turning into that. And there's national competitions that you win. Like they took the winner from New York. They took the winner from Chicago and she came out to LA because she was the winner from New York. And it became like the national event where all the winners from all the big cities came and she won that too. So she became like the national winner. Why am I drawing a blank? What is it all? So they'll come up with a subject and then they have to like, it's almost like an improv. They have time to like talk about it, but it's like they have five or six minutes to do a monologue on the subject with no piece of paper. You know, you, you can prepare like a week before, but you can't bring a piece of paper with you. You have to just tell it. So it's kind of like in that vein. I don't know why I can't remember the name of the bit right now. That's so interesting. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're doing too, like where you're kind of people getting up and telling their story in a, it could be sad, it could be funny, but it's in like a, in the vein of whatever they're talking about. And it's like about their personal journey. But this has been amazing, Patricia. And I wish you the best of luck on May 6th, which is like a month away. And that will be really exciting. And I hope next May we'll be doing more of of your play style that we could be sharing with everybody. Awesome. Well, well, best of luck to you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mimi. Each week, I will bring you different voices from the wellness community so that they can share how they help their clients heal. You will come away with tips and strategies to help you get your life back. Thank you so much for coming on and I am so happy you are here. Subscribe now and tune in next week. If you want to learn how I detox and you want to check out my detox for Lyme checklist, go to lime360.com forward slash detox checklist. You can also join our community at Lyme360 Warriors on Facebook and let's heal together. Thank you.